So, um, we've read the Bible, we've read the New Testament, and read the epistles, and we've noticed the greetings and the uh, closing farewell blessings that uh, many of the epistles have. And, and they're encouraging to read and think about uh, those beginning lines and closing chapters. And I used to kind of buzz over them and like they were filler sort of material and not much more than polite expressions that, you know, proper letter etiquette. But if you read them thoughtfully, like we read the rest of Scripture or should, uh, there's, there's some power there in those words. Romans 1, verse 7, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the letter, verse 20 of chapter 16, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And a few verses later, still working on this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Then finally, uh, verse 27. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Second Corinthians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And in Ephesians, verse 2 of chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verses 23 and 24 of chapter 6. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And uh, for Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the book, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. These readings and these closing farewells aren't just the common kinds of hello, how are you, sincerely, truly yours, uh, and so on, that are often written or expressed with, with little meaning or thought, but they are blessings that are intentionally expressed by Paul and Peter and James and John, and these were brethren that understood what grace is, and uh, they they knew that their readers needed it. 
everything that grace means and includes. And what I failed to call attention to was how often we saw grace or heard grace in those uh, in those verses. And we heard grace this morning. We heard grace in uh, prayers for grace for people in our in the prayer that Galen led. So I want to think about grace this morning. Uh, God's grace. What is it? it? It's the most wonderful thing. Uh, its meaning is very broad. It's, it's uh, beyond what I can even begin to explain here this morning. But one simple definition is the unmerited favor of God. I've seen that numbers of times, heard that before. The unmerited favor of God. It's unearned. It's not something we do that uh, brings God's grace to us. It's undeserved. It's a gift. A kindly and generously offered gift. Um, Romans 5, 15. But the free gift is not like the effect, but like sin. We're talking about salvation, forgiveness, and so on. And in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. The gift of God. So grace is a... I'm thinking about this more, just what all is involved, and again, this is just but it is a kind and merciful and voluntary divine intervention of deliverance, rescue, strengthening, supporting, renewing, comforting, restoring, many, many other things could be added to that. And all because of God's love, motivated by God's love. A kind and merciful, voluntary, divine intervention motivated by love uh, for our benefit, not because we earned it or deserved it in any way. In uh, 1974, in spring, there was a tornado went through Alabama, and uh, I was trying to think of an example of something that we could kind of identify with. And uh, it left a wide swath of destruction. It was a terrible tornado. And MBS, it was then, as before CAM, a Mennonite disaster service, organized uh, relief workers to go in to clean up debris and rebuild houses and so on. And Eli wanted to go and spend a week there and asked if I'd be interested in going along. And I decided to go. And Dwayne went along and Linda Glick. Linda Glick was going to help, that's uh, Wesley's daughter, was going to help cook or work in the kitchen or something. So 
Uh, I remember we were working, some of us were working on a house, putting, uh, it had been framed up already, the debris had all been cleared away, and it had been framed up, and the roof put on, and we were putting shingles on, and the homeowner stopped in, and he told a story of what happened. And that evening, he had been going home from work to his family. There was going to be a birthday party for his son there that evening. And he saw this terrible thunderstorm off in the distance. And as I recall, some of this was a little sketchy. Martha actually remembered a few pieces of it. But um, I'm pretty sure he saw the tornado. And it was tracking in the area where he lived. So he had a few miles to go until uh, he got there, but as he got closer, the more apprehensive he was. And when he got there, his home had been completely destroyed. And I think there was one child that survived. I think he had three, maybe, young children. And uh, they had the, his wife had huddled against the chimney fireplace, as I recall, and they were huddled there thinking that would be a solid, secure place, and it collapsed on them. Yeah, it was. So this man, uh, this grief was really very fresh and all he had lost. But, but what I remember was how appreciative he was of people coming to help. He was so thankful for what we were doing that people cared enough to come for many miles to, to help out. And there was a church in the community that uh, invited all the volunteers to come in for an evening meal. And there was some speech of gratitude. And, you know, these volunteers, they didn't have to go. They weren't obligated to leave their jobs and their families to, to take a trip like that to help these people out. But they did. They wanted to. It was, it was a blessing to be there. But that's a little the way God's grace is. And, uh, but like I said, it is so broad. Uh, from mercy and forgiveness to just His care and sustenance to His comfort and uh, uh, to His work in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, that whole redemption thing of, of uh, cleansing us and healing us and recreating uh, the new creation work in a believer, the, the restoration, the new man in the life of a believer, the spirit of God in the life of a believer. That, that's all uh, part of God's great and marvelous grace. So turn with me to John, the Gospel of John. The first chapter, I want to notice a few verses as we think about grace and uh, think about the source of grace and the gift of grace. And I want to begin reading at verse 14 
of John 1, familiar verses. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we notice here that um, in verse 14, about Jesus coming in the flesh, the disciples seeing His glory, but He was full of grace and truth. Full. Filled. Completely filled. An unexhaustible supply of grace and truth. Jesus full of grace and truth. And the truth here is not just John 3.16, but it is that plus all spiritual realities. What is the, the reality of everything about man's condition, about man's need, about God's solution, the way, the truth, and the life. Truth. We read what's going on in the news, and we don't understand it all, but those who know God, they know there's something wrong in this world. And they know what the solution is. Now, verse 15 is kind of a parenthesis here. It's an important detail, but it's like a little sidebar to the main point of these several verses. And then we pick up again in verse 16. <laughs> and of his fullness, and that's referring back to Jesus being full of grace and truth. And we have all received, that is, uh, everybody has received gifts, kind acts, and mercy from God. It rains on the just and the unjust, for example, but especially those people who believe in Jesus Christ and follow Him in faith, and they worship Him, and they serve Him, and they obey Him. And they want to please Him. Of His fullness, we have all received. And then it says, grace for grace. We have all received grace for grace. Now, there are different views of what that is saying. One view, uh, in some translations, will say grace upon grace. Uh, like blessings upon blessings, favor upon favor, like gift heaped upon gift. The Amplified says, one grace after another, 
and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaps upon gift. So you get a picture of just an outpouring of abundance from God. And, and that shows us a glorious picture of God's generosity, showering His grace upon us. Like it says in First Timothy 1, verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now there's another view of what that's saying. And uh, the more literal uh, translation is grace for grace, the way I read it in Luke and James. Uh, and that is, uh, he would say it more this way, that uh, it's the thought of grace being exchanged for grace. That as grace is given and grace is used, that supply is replenished. There is more that is that is given, replaced by a fresh supply. So, um, there is an abundance offered when we think of it this way, but not everyone receives and experiences the same degree of grace from God. Not everyone experiences that abundant grace upon grace that uh, that is offered. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to rule toward men." A great gift being generously offered. But then, in the first chapter of John, where we were reading. It's said about Jesus being in the world and the world made by him and everything, and he came to his own, and they did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, and so forth. So, not everyone experiences uh, the same degree of grace. James 4, 6, says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, there you have a condition right there. Um, but he gives more grace. He gives greater than what is required. A little like in Romans 5, 20, where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. So the proud, the self-reliant, they don't experience grace like those who are humble and know they need it and recognizing faith that God, that Jesus is the source of it and they pray for it, they receive it, they find grace. They find grace for their needs. They find grace not only for salvation, but uh, God's Spirit poured out upon them to 
that they are able to love and to forgive and to be patient in long suffering, to be humble, to serve, and to endure suffering and to be victorious over temptation, to become what God designed and would desire for them to have. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So uh, there he was what he was only because of the grace of God. And that doesn't, uh, that doesn't mean that nothing, no effort was required on Paul's part. Paul put a lot of effort in there. He said he really worked hard. But God's grace helped him even with that. So those are the two, uh, two views of that. Um, of that grace of grace. And I, I think the second one is right. I think the first one is true. Because that is the way God offers it to us. And that's the way it is possible to experience the grace of God. I think um, I want to get there. I believe that God's desire is that we experience this continuously in our Christian life. Not, not a minute here that we feel a surge of grace and peace and joy and truthfulness or whatever, and then maybe an hour tomorrow. Special day, we have an hour of grace, of God's grace. I think He wants us to experience more of that. In Romans 5, it says this. Well, hurry along here a little. But therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this is the passage where he goes on and says about glory and tribulations and tribulation producing perseverance and perseverance character and character hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. But this is all a part of the grace in which we stand. And when we stand on something, uh, we are there and we are present in it and I think it's uh, describing a continual standing in the grace of God. So there's a life of faith and grace and constantly being filled with and blessed by the benefits of God's uh, redemption in our lives. And we learn as a grace from God that we can learn. And in Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that 
denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So it's God's grace, God's Spirit, teaching us. Uh, remember that truth, full of grace and truth, the spiritual reality of who we are and what we need and what God can supply. God is teaching us the grace of God. Well, I want us to know that it's also uh, from Hebrews 4. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses and our need for God's grace, but he was tempted in all points, as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that God teaches us by his, because he's kind and caring and knows we need to learn things to make our life better and to be more fruitful and more effective in our service for Him. We discover we have need. There are things wrong. There are flaws there. So, but He invites us not to despair, but to come boldly to the throne of grace. And there we find mercy, that's an aspect of grace, and, and help, grace to help, another aspect of God's grace. The early church experienced the grace of God. We could go to a number of verses, but says in Acts 4 that um, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all, upon those people that Receive, accepted, believe that Jesus is the Savior and Lord. I want to think about Paul a little bit. You know, uh, Paul, when uh, he was converted, he was blinded by that light and he was. Uh, Damascus. He was in Damascus. And the Lord told Ananias, who was a disciple in, in Damascus, go to where Paul is, that Paul is praying, and, and he saw in a vision that a man named Ananias is coming to pray for him so he can see again. And Ananias had a question about whether this wasn't pretty risky. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. 
another prophet with a message to give to the people. And then in verse 16, I want us to notice this. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So how would you respond to uh, an invitation like that? I don't know when God revealed to Paul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. But we know how Paul responded to that to that call. He just charged into the fray, as it were. And thought about that passage in Second Corinthians where he was telling them about his sufferings. In strikes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often, from the Jews five times I received forty strikes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, and on and on and on, for several verses yet. He talked about those things that he endured. Did he just enjoy pain? I, I doubt it. But I believe that Paul, by the grace of God, found joy in serving the Lord and suffering whatever came. He was no longer that angry man who was persecuting and killing Believers, he was able to handle this by God's grace. And you remember that sword in the flesh and how he pled with God to deliver him from that. He prayed three times and God said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, I most gladly, I'll, I'll boast in my infirmities and weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He rejoiced in suffering. In uh, Romans 5.3 there we saw that one verse that says, We also glory in tribulations. Some translations say, uh, We also rejoice in sufferings. So that's what Paul is experiencing by the grace of God. And, and you remember what happened in Philippi, how he was uh, in jail, and after being uh, beaten with many stripes, it says, he and Silas were in the inner prison, fasting with socks, and they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. How could they do that? It was the grace of God, the gift of God's Spirit, God's presence, God's life in Paul. I'll tell you a little bit about um, Annie Jones Flint and Annie Flint. And uh, I have a song <coughs> that she wrote, she was a poet, a songwriter. Uh, wrote, uh, I think, 6,000 songs. I saw one source said, 
I'll, I'll have uh, Judy give them out. You don't have to look at them right away. But he was born on Christmas Eve in uh, 1866 in the little town of Vineland, New Jersey, to Elderman Dean Johnson. And the only memory that Annie had of her mother was when Annie was three years old, a baby sister had been born, and they took Annie in there to her mother's bed to introduce her to that new sister. And um, she remembered her mother's face. Just her mother lying there with that little baby. Somehow just made up. She just always remembered her face there from that time. And her mother soon died. I don't know whether it was that day or how soon after. Mother was young, 23. So the father was trying to take care of things and he put the children, uh, placed them with a widow of an old friend to take care of at least, you know. Um, but it was not a happy arrangement. The woman had two children of her own, and she had little income. And during the two years that Annie and her sister were there, uh, they felt unwelcome and unwanted. So it was kind of a miserable time for these little girls. But there was a neighbor lady, and they called her Aunt Susie. She was a school teacher, and she boarded near the school, which was not, which was close by in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Flint. And this Aunt Susie, as they called her, sort of fell in love with these Johnson girls. And she talked about them often to the Flint and described their sad condition and she felt sorry, so sorry for them. And the Flint had no children of their own and they came to feel such sympathy for these little girls that they adopted them. So that's how Annie Jones became Annie Jones Flint, or often you see it, Annie J. Flint. And the girl's father was willing to part with them because he was sick himself. He had some incurable disease, and not long after that, he died. And he was also pleased that the Flints were Christians. He wanted his girls to be raised in a Christian home and become Christians. So these girls were taken into the Flint home and loved as if they were their very own. Uh, when Annie was a little older, she was saved in a local revival meeting, and she never looked back. But she loved the Lord and followed Him the rest of her life. And at some point, when she was still pretty young, 10, 9, 10, 11, she learned that she had a gift for expressing her heart in poetry. And she began writing some little poems. And she went to school, and when she graduated, she was offered some kind of a job. And But her mother, Mrs. Flint, had become ill and needed care. And so Annie stayed at home and was taking care of her. Plus, she was teaching school 
at the school where he attended. And early in the second year of teaching, uh, she began noticing something about her hands and body. And she was developing arthritis, uh, apparently rheumatoid arthritis. Doctors tried to help her, but it was steadily growing worse until it became difficult for her to even walk. And she had a difficult time even finishing the third year of school, was getting that bad, and then she had to give up her work and just was growing steadily more helpless. And then uh, both of her adopted parents died uh, within a few months of each other, and the girls were left alone. And of uh, she was an adult by that time, a young adult, and there was little money available. Uh, she went to a sanatorium to find help. And doctors there worked with her, but they finally told her there was nothing they could do for her. And she was going to be a helpless invalid the rest of her life. Her sister was also pretty frail. I don't know what her health problem was. But that was when Annie started uh, seriously writing poetry. And she would put a pen between her crooked fingers and swollen throats. And it was painful, but that's how she wrote her poetry, expressing the comfort that she found in her suffering. And she began making little uh, cards and uh, putting her poetry on them and so on, decorating them. And they began circulating her and her songs, and they began generating some uh, income for her. But the, the upshot of it was that this lady ended up being an invalid for 40 years and was rarely able, able to even get out of her room. And her, uh, she was able to move her head painfully, but the rest of her joints just became more and more rigid as time went on. She was sick and just extremely crippled. She suffered a lot. But um, her faith in God didn't waver. She died in September of 1932. And, and that's the setting. That's the... Uh, the setting and the experience from which her uh, poetry and songs were born. Many of us uh, are familiar with uh, the song, God is not promised, skies always blue. That's one of hers. And in the chorus it says, uh, But God has promised strength for the day. Grace for the trials and so on. But the, the song that I gave out is especially about grace and mentions grace often. And it's, uh, He giveth more grace. I wonder how many people know this song. So to Timothy, Paul wrote, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And then close with grace be with you all. Amen. Peter, when he wrote to his uh, epistle in the first chapter, he wrote to the elect and so on, and he said, uh, Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then uh, in chapter 5, verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. All, all uh, aspects of God's grace, grace. And in Second Peter, he said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he closed with, But, grace, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, we've only begun to address this subject, just scratch the surface of it. And we've really only begun to experience what God has for us, too. I think Paul's prayer for the people that he was writing to, and Peter's and John when he refers to it. They, their prayer and their desire, which I believe is God, is that God would help us to stand in grace, to walk and live by faith, and experience His grace, and on a daily basis, uh, as we live for Him, that His kind and merciful intervention in our daily lives would be just uh, part of our lives. And who knows what we have to face in the future? And, you know, these days, I've talked to different ones who have thought about that. You know, it's kind of brought to their attention a little more. You know, some dark things to be looming over the horizon. We don't know. But we know that God's grace is real and will be there for us. And Ephesians uh, chapter 2 speaks about God. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's here now. Well, we're standing, we saw earlier, and we're sitting, here he says, but in the presence of Christ and the Spirit and experiencing the grace that he has for us. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless you. Shall we all close in song?